The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls. For more breakdowns on the Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Hello and welcome to the NBA Outlet presented by OTGBasketball.com. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Corey Waldron and special guest, Preston Ellis of the Bird Calls. What's up, guys? And I'm much chilling. I'm, ex- I'm excited to hear Preston because I know Preston is extremely happy right now this time of the year. Uh, happy and nervous. Uh, nobody was expecting what happened with Portland. And, and every night I told myself, if we win, I'm going to start this podcast and I'm going to enjoy it. And I'm going to I'm going to take in the moment. But if we lose, you know, I'm going to go to bed and I'm going to get a nice seven to eight hours of sleep. But it turns out I didn't get much sleep at all. <laughs> Not much sleep at all. And it was a huge, like you said. It was- Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell and Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. It was a huge surprise. That's what we're going to talk about today. Warriors and Pelicans round two, preview that. But the fact that they swept the Blazers in the first round, like obviously, Preston, you're into the Pelicans way more than us. Did anybody have that take out there that they expected the Pelicans to take care of them fast? No one. The one person who was close was our editor, and I want to give him a shout out, uh, at Ali Cosell, brilliant guy, uh, great content, writes daily, and he had them in five, and he said the only reason he had them in five was because he was nervous uh, about the residual effect should he be wrong, but he was so confident just looking at data, at the matchups, the Pelicans have played well against this team all year long, whether Anthony Davis was in or out, they just did a good job of managing C.J. McCollum and Dame Lillard, and the one game that the Blazers were able to win with Anthony Anthony Davis and without DeMarcus Cousins, it was really by a fluke. Rajon Rondo wasn't playing. Anthony Davis severely sprained his ankle late in the second corner, and he was limping for the rest of the game. And it still came down to the final possession. So we we felt very confident going into this one. But uh, across the NBA, nobody really believed in them. Most of us had them in six or in seven. But but the sweep, I, I don't think anybody outside of Ali Cosell could have predicted that. Yeah, it was incredible. Like you said, I think, uh, you know, that a lot of the Pelicans guys were tweeting this out with the ESPN picked all the Blazers. I know I picked the Blazers as well. I thought it would yeah, end up seven. Sadly, I did too. Yeah, but, uh, you know, it, looking back on the preview pod, it's like, why didn't I pick the Pelicans? But obviously hindsight helps there. But let's talk about this, you know, Warriors and Pelicans. Regular season, the Warriors did win the series 3-1. Anything we can take from the regular, se- uh, regular season matchup? 
I don't think so, because the Pelicans have really had three different teams this year. Of course, they've had the team with DeMarcus Cousins. They had the team without DeMarcus Cousins, where Nikola Miritich was kind of finding himself. There were 10 games without Miritich, even on the roster. And then there was this large turnover of guys like Dante Cunningham, Jameer Nelson, Tony Allen, uh, with some others. And now the Pelicans bench looks completely different. Their starting lineup looks completely different. And in addition to that, uh, whether you want to talk about Rajon Rondo, playoff Rondo, or that sort of thing, or Drew Holiday in the way that he played in the in the first round series 41 points is his career high in both the playoffs and the regular season these guys are just peaking at the right time and I don't know if I'm getting uh I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself but basically the one game that you do want to look back to is the game on April 7th a game that the Pelicans were winning by as many as eight with four minutes remaining and they managed to hold on by forcing some critical turnovers on Kevin Durant and Etuan Moore hit that uh incredible thrilling go-ahead shot with something like 17 seconds left that one's going to be really uh critical to watch if you do want an inkling of what this matchup will be like we don't know when to expect Steph Curry of course he's being listed as day-to-day but with that being said Steve Kerr says he has no timetable for when he'll actually be back and participating in five-on-five contact drills he is in non-contact drills right now so he is practicing and they do anticipate he'll, he should be back sometime around game two or game three but where he is able to come back and come back and play well is going to be critical to how the scales are tipped in the series yeah I agree I, th- I think the the curry whether you know whenever he comes back is the biggest domino of this series because it completely changes the complexion of it when curry's in to, compared to when curry's out definitely uh the pelicans actually and, and we'll get into this later I don't want to get ahead of us. But with Curry on the bench, the Pelicans actually match up much better in this series than people are going to anticipate. Of course, everybody's pointing to the differences in styles between the Blazers and, and the Dubs. The Blazers, of course, rely heavily on that high screen pick and roll and, and generating offense at the perimeter and generating space with their, their two-headed backcourt, where the Warriors mostly utilize their, their picks and their screens away from the ball. The primary ball handler almost seemingly just like surveys the court while guys create space and then get those quick shots off. But with that being said, and, and I'm getting ahead of myself, so so I'll go ahead and slow down and let you guys kind of kind of generate this offense. But with that being said, the Pelicans are in a really good position here, and I think I think a lot of people are still sleeping on them, even after watching them be the lone team in the NBA to get 4-0 sweep. Yeah, and the numbers back it up. The Pelicans were incredible in the first round. In terms of net rating, the Warriors were number one. The Pelicans were number two. Pelicans had the number one uh, offensive rating in the postseason so far. They shot over 52% from the field. I think you really have to give them a lot of credit. But what have we learned about these teams this postseason so far? What have, we'll start with the Pelicans. What have we learned about them in this first round? Okay, I'm actually more anxious to talk about the Warriors, but I will start with the Pelicans. The Pelicans are just peaking at the perfect time. Of course, they had that that 10 game. They kind of had a, a series of ebbs and flows uh, after Nico Meritich uh, got to the lineup. Of course, they had that 10-game winning streak followed by that four-game losing streak. And then, of course, they won the five remaining games in the regular season once they inserted Nikola Meritich back into the starting lineup. Of course, it's, it's well known across the NBA that he shaved his beard and he's been lights out ever since. Now, in the first round, what the Pelicans showed was not not only what they can do defensively with Miritich in the lineup, it, it creates the space and the athletic ability to get out on the perimeter and defend some of that three-point scoring. The Blazers were said to have had the most open looks of any team in the playoffs, and yet they couldn't convert and they couldn't hit them. And that's because of the speed, the athleticism, the trapping, and the and the smarts, I guess you could say, of the Pelicans in challenging them and getting and 
get into their rotations. But offensively is where the Pelicans are going to need to give the Warriors trouble. And sorry, I'm, I'm getting to the preview again already. <laughs> what we learned is that these Pelicans are a lot more dangerous than anybody could have thought. And that starts with Drew Holiday, somebody who averaged 28, 7, and 4, over 50% shooting, 57% shooting specifically. Rajon Rondo, who was hyped into, into playoff Rondo mode, should so to speak, he hasn't necessarily been playing better as far as statistically. Uh, he's just been playing a lot more minutes. But defensively is where he's become a better player and where the Pelicans have started matching him up against opponents who can't take advantage of him. Guys like Evan Turner, guys like Andre Iguodala, guys like Danny Green. If Rajon Rondo can continue hiding on these guys, he can do what he does best on the offensive end. And I think Nikola Meritich is surprising everybody with how well he's played, not just his shooting. He shot 46% from three in the first round series, as well as 57% from the field as well. Anthony Davis, Drew Holiday, and Miritich all shot 57% from the field. But nobody expected him to be able to take on centers, to be able to cut off the paint, to average 2.3 blocks per game and two steals per game. And then, of course, there's Anthony Davis. And Anthony Davis might be the best player in the world right now. Yeah, I mean, you definitely can make the argument. especially. I mean, he's definitely one of the most unguardable players in the league because of his size. And I mean, Anthony Davis is one of those guys, kind of like Durant to, to a degree, and most of the stars. You know, you're not going to stop him, but maybe you can limit him to some degree, especially in that Blazer series. I mean, there wasn't any point in time where you saw him really struggling. Agreed. What What did uh, you learn about the Pelicans in the first round, Corey? I mean, I mean, for me personally, I, I, I mean, obviously, I haven't watched a ton of Pelicans games. I'll be honest. Um, Drew Holiday to me just stood out. I mean, flat out between his defensive tenacity, uh, he was a, a big reason why Lillard was so ineffective in you know, the first four games of the playoffs for them. Um, and it was, you know, what he, he had like a career low in almost every category in the playoffs. Um, Drew Holiday offensively, you know, he was the second option. And I know when Cousins was healthy, you know, Drew Holiday, he kind of looked out of place at times. He didn't really have, you know, like his role, you know, defined in that offense. And, you know, this last, I don't know, four or five weeks, we've really seen Drew Holiday come alive as a two-way player. And I think especially, you know, on NBA Twitter, and nationally, I think Drew Holiday has gained a ton of respect. Um, I think he's for real. And then, like Preston has mentioned, you know, Miracic, you know, he's been tremendous. Um, obviously, with the Bulls, I kind of thought he was just having one of those, you know, really hot streaks, and he was cool. He would cool down, and he slightly cooled down. He shaved the beard, and he's back on a hot streak. If um, I can, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, if I could quickly add to what he was saying about Drew Holiday, he's absolutely right. And Drew Holiday is showing something that even the most diehard of Pelicans fans haven't seen before. And that's swagger. That's pointing I was going to say his swag yeah. really stuck out. Yeah, that's that's pointing at Yusuf Nurkic after Anthony Davis, you know, dunked all over him. That's him jawing at a fan in the second row. That's him rejecting, uh, I can't remember if it was Damian Lillard or CJ McCollum at the end of game one and walking away from him before Anthony Davis had even secured the ball. He's playing with confidence that we've never seen. Guys who have been watching him for four years straight, every minute of, of his time in the Pelicans, we haven't seen it. They even asked Rajon Rondo. Um, I can't remember specifically who asked him the question, but somebody uh, post-game after game four, or actually it was a practice two days later, they said, you know, did you expect this kind of performance not – you know, just physically on the court, but also like the way he's been interacting from Drew Holiday. And Rajon Rondo said, honestly, this is the first time I'm seeing it and I love it. His confidence yeah. is just through the roof. And that's obviously a great sign. Like you said, Preston, you know, the Pelicans are just kind of peaking at the right time. But from the Warriors perspective, what do we learn about them in round one? Well, I, I want to say one thing, too. I think one thing that the Pelicans, too, can be happy, not happy about, but, you know, Antoine Moore wasn't fantastic in that first round series. 
And I think you hope he gives you more. And that could be like an X factor too, I think, you know, just looking at how he played in the first round. Yeah, definitely. Etuan Moore was kind of quieter in the first round offensively. Uh, he had one breakout game in game three, but defensively is where he really shone. And a lot of that attention goes to Drew Holiday. Uh, Drew Holiday got most of the uh, attention for the defensive accolades. But Etuan Moore very quietly all year long has done whatever the Pelicans have asked of him. If they've asked him to score, he can drop over 30 points. If they ask him to play defense, he can do that. Where he struggles is playing against these longer perimeter guys, these, these three-position skill players who just have the length to just shoot directly over him. Those guys like Andrew Wiggins can really take advantage of him. But luckily for him, he's not going to have to match up with that kind of player again in in round two. So he's definitely somebody who scored, I think, 15 points on seven of seven shooting against the Warriors, including that critical go-ahead shot. So definitely, definitely somebody that the Pelicans are going to look to to contribute a little bit more offensively in this series. And sorry, what was your question, Nick? Was it just to talk about the, the Warriors coming into this, how they stand? Yeah, what do you learn about them in round one? What, you know, takeaways you have on that team? I think the takeaways have to be positive if you're a Pelicans fan. They limped into the into the postseason this year. They only won seven of their last 17 games. And those wins, I don't have it right in front of me, but I think it was three times against the Suns, one time against the Kings, one time against the Hawks, and one time against the Thunder. And I don't know if that amounts to seven, but the Thunder was the only playoff contending team that they managed a victory against. The other guys were all lottery bottom dwellers. They have not been playing good basketball, even against the San Antonio Spurs in their five-game victory. The Spurs the Pelicans took care of them the last game of the season. They looked like they didn't belong in the playoffs. And of course, with all the tragedy happening with Greg and Aaron Popovich, certainly wish them the best. But how how can you say that this, this wouldn't be an insurmountable situation for the Spurs to walk into? And if you follow SB Nation's golden state of mind like I do, they were even saying in game five last night, they said that the Warriors were doing everything they possibly could to lose that game. And it seemed that the Spurs just either didn't have the motivation or, or, or didn't have the power to take advantage of all the, the careless turnovers and the careless bad shots, the careless offense that the Warriors were, were utilizing in the fourth quarter late in that in that six-minute stretch where they kind of go back to Thunder Hero Ball where Kevin Durant is just trying to ISO, ISO on guys when that's not their strong suit. Their strong suit is sharing the ball. So these guys, uh, I'm writing an article right now for thebirdrights.com. Of course, they've averaged 69 wins uh, per season the past three years. This year, only 58, and a lot of it has to do to just fatigue. Seth Curry's missed 31, Iggy's missed 18, Durant's missed 14, Draymond's missed 12, Clay's missed 11, Sean Livingston's missed 11 games, and you can see it in their numbers. Uh, Andre Iguodala and Draymond Green are shooting the worst they've shot in their careers. Andre in his career, Draymond since his rookie season. These guys are just limping to the finish line, hoping that they can just like use their previous success to get them there. But if you just look at the statistics and look at the way that they're playing right now, you you can't help but think they're just waiting for somebody to put them down. Well, one thing I can add to that is, uh, especially between Draymond Green and Andre, who were both shooting terrible, those guys look scared to shoot at this point. You know, they get the ball at times, and they're looking to pass the ball almost immediately. They, like, they want no part of taking jump shots, which I think if you're a Pelicans fan also, you know, you want that. Because Draymond's going to have to, you know, lock up against Anthony Davis, and you want him to be shook. Yeah, and I definitely want to clarify this. With a healthy Steph Curry, of course the Pelicans are no match for this Warriors. I know I'm going to get killed for this and also for my preview. Uh, uh, even our own guys in New Orleans are not expecting the Pelicans to really compete in this. And they're also expecting Steph Curry to be back by game two at the latest. But with that being said, if Steph Curry is not himself, and we've seen him try to come back too soon in the playoffs before two years ago, and he really wasn't that big of a factor against the 
sorry, against the Cavaliers in the finals when he was able to come back off those knee and ankle injuries. And we might see that again here. They definitely are missing Steph in multiple degrees. And just the shooting alone, because some of the lineups you're putting out there, like you guys mentioned, Iguodala and Draymond Green aren't shooting great. They're putting out Green, Iguodala, and McGee. And then Clay and KD are really your only main shooter. So there is some issues. I think on a positive side from, you know, the Warriors, they did turn it up defensively sometimes when they needed to. But there is some worry somewhere. They're not turning it up for the whole game in the playoffs, especially in a game five last night where they had the chance to kind of wipe it away. They ended up getting lucky and finished the win. But like we mentioned, the Spurs aren't the most talented team. How can the Pelicans attack the Warriors this series? Uh, there's, there's a bunch of different ways, and I've written them all down. But the primary thing and the number one thing in this series that the Pelicans absolutely have to focus on is winning the turnover battle. And that's for a variety of reasons. Not just, of course, you need every possession uh, just to generate offense, but... Getting out in transition is what makes the Warriors the deadliest team in the NBA. The reason that they're so efficient, they take the fifth fewest shots in the NBA, and yet they're the best offensive team, and that's because they capitalize on open looks. And where do you get open looks? You get them in transition, and they get out into transition by capitalizing on turnovers. They generate a lot of them, and when they do, it always means three points. Most of their points come from three-point range. They do it better than anybody else, and of course, that comes from Kevin Durant, who can shoot over anybody, Clay Thompson, who has the, the quickest and the purest shot in the game, Steph Curry, of course, who has the confidence to shoot anywhere on the court. The Pelicans really have to just take that opportunity away from them. And to take that opportunity away from them, they have to minimize turnovers. And that's what they did on April 7th by just giving the ball away eight times. With that being said, the Warriors turned the ball over a lot. They turned it over 17 times that game. They average over 15 per game. So transition is definitely some a one position where the Pelicans can capitalize against this team by just taking that away from them. Another important thing is going to be an early lead and then finishing strong. The Warriors are 30th in points allowed in the first quarter, and they drop all the way down to 16th in the, in the fourth quarter after being very good in the second and third quarter. And the third and last thing the Pelicans have to do is they have to get into the paint, something that they are the best at in the NBA. And check check online, the, uh, the Warriors are 21st. Anthony Davis is probably going to be paired up with Draymond Green, and he's got about five and a half inches on him. So it should be a place where the Pelicans are able to take advantage. And of course, as good as the Warriors are defensively with the way that Drew Holiday's playing, he should be able to get to the rim. He's one of the best finishers in the NBA right now. Rajon Rondo said that in September, and we laughed at him. And then we watched him in Portland, and lo and behold, he does have the ability to finish with either hand. He's got multiple different facets to his game once he gets into the paint. He's got the floater. He kisses it off the glass. He can go up and under. So those are pretty much the three, but the number one thing that we'll need to focus on is turnovers. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much took the words out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> my, my main point for the the strength of the Pelicans, I said, was to attack the paint because I noticed the stat that the Warriors are 21st. Um, and I think, you know, obviously Jamel McGee had a huge first-round series for them, but I don't see him being a huge factor in this series because even if he gets matched up with Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis, I mean, I don't think there's any way Jamel McGee limits Anthony Davis much. Um, I don't see any reason why Anthony Davis couldn't be dominant. And I, I know I said this prior earlier in the year when Cousins was healthy, you know, that the Pelicans could be the biggest issue for the Warriors in general when they have both those guys healthy. And obviously Cousins isn't here. But Anthony Davis still, you know, proposes the same threat where the Warriors have to go, you know, their best defender on Anthony Davis is Draymond Green, who doesn't have the size. Obviously he has the strength and he's got a great defensive IQ. But, you know, there's really no matchup on this Warriors team to really take Anthony Davis out of this game unless you trap him, you know, you force pressure on him when he gets in the paint. But, um, yeah, I think the paint will be 
and obviously limiting turnovers. Right? Anytime you take care of the ball against a team like the Warriors, your chances of winning go significantly higher. Yeah, I agree. The turnover battle is huge. You know, the Pelicans at times have gotten sloppy in the past, but the Warriors have, it seems like in that Spurs series, they had at least one quarter where they were terrible with the basketball and that kind of allowed the Spurs to stay in the game. You know, so if they can win that turnover battle, even by a couple here and there, like you said, Preston, with an offense like the Warriors and their transition offense, you know, preventing a few of those shots could really help them. Definitely. And one thing that uh, we haven't talked about enough yet is Rajon Rondo and how he kind of controls a game and kind of manipulates a defense. And one thing that we saw the Warriors do that was very effective at the end of uh, the game on April 7th was they matched Clay Thompson on Rajon Rondo and they made the other four Pelicans on the floor beat them. And the Pelicans kind of fell apart at the seams in the fourth quarter and they were able to survive just based on the own their own turnovers that they generated off Kevin Durant and Draymond Green. So look for that to happen. If Rajon Rondo doesn't have the ability to kind of command the floor and do that floor general thing that he's been doing so effectively lately that could slow down the offense because right now the Pelicans just need to outscore the Warriors nobody's you know imagining that they're going to hold the Warriors to under 100 points and Draymond Green even had like a funny tongue-in-cheek quote about Alvin Gentry uh, I've got it somewhere down here but basically he said something along the lines here it is he said Jen will definitely have some tricks up his sleeve offensively defense ain't really Jen's thing he don't <laughs> love it he'll tell you a million times in a row ain't nobody won a game zero to zero so <laughs> I, I think I think we'll see the Warriors come out he, come out and kind of trap and confuse Rajon Rondo and force the Pelicans to generate offense without him because Anthony Davis, of course, nobody's going to stop him. But with that being said, Rajon Rondo makes it really easy for him. He gets him going with probably, I don't know what the average is, but probably three of these highlight alley-oop alley-oops per game that really get his confidence going of course you see him like pounding his chest you see him roaring like you know the the, the king of his pride but but those are so critical to getting guys like Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis comfortable and getting them confident and if you take away those easy baskets that Rajon Rondo generates then that could be a way to to confuse and disrupt the Pelicans offense yeah, Rondo, like you've mentioned, has been huge. You know, he's had – it's felt like Anthony Davis had at least, you know, four or five oops in every single game of that series. So that'll be important to keep an eye on. But how can the Warriors attack the Pelicans? I, I think that's how they do it defensively is they try to take away Rajon Rondo and they just they just let Anthony Davis get his and they let Drew Holiday get his. Drew Holiday's still going to have a tough time uh, against longer guys like Sean Livingston, who's probably going to get a lot of minutes. And of course, they're probably going to pair Andre Iguodala around him too. And they're going to force Drew Holiday to prove that he is who he was in round one. Is Drew Holiday like an all-star level player right now? Or was he just exploiting matchups? Like they're going to make him prove it in this series. Another way is just... With with their off ball movement, um, I was I was watching some of the film from that game again, and it's it's really remarkable to watch what they do. They send three guys kind of in a clump together, and they kind of run them around a circle, kind of like duck duck goose, until every defender is fumbling over each other trying to get back to the man they were matched up. And even if they switch off each other, it generates just just enough space. The Warriors don't need space; they just need a couple of feet. These guys are lethal: Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, and if you. If you try to close on them, they can take you off the dribble. They can just kill you in a variety of ways. They've got some of the best players in the NBA. Offensively, the, the Warriors are just going to get points, and they're going to get points against against the, the Pelicans, no matter what the Pelicans throw at them. So I think where both teams need to focus is, is on the other end of the floor, and the Warriors really need to frustrate the Pelicans offensively early. They need to get into their heads. They need to slow them down early because they've been terrible in the first quarter defensively, and they can't let that happen with the Pelicans. They can't let the Pelicans get confidence because with the swagger the Pelicans have right now, 
if you let them go into halftime with a lead, you're you're opening the door for for a team that possibly could be I, I don't want to say a sleeping giant right now, but they're they're just getting the worst at the right time. The Warriors need to come out and they need to play defense early and they need to just trust the points are going to come on the other end of the floor and just try to slow down Anthony Davis, Drew Holiday, and Rajon Rondo. And again, I think they do that by attacking Rondo first. Yeah, see, um, for me, I, I think at least uh, defensively for the Warriors, I think they're going to try and take Drew Holiday out and they're going to dare guys like Rondo. Who, you know, he was hitting threes against Portland. I think they're going to dare other guys aside from Drew Holiday to beat them. I think they're going to, I mean, obviously they're going to try and limit Anthony Davis, but he's probably going to get his. But I think Drew Holiday is going to be the person they defensively focus on. I wouldn't be surprised if, kind of with the Cavs are doing the Victor Oladipo, where they just send constant traps. They try and just take him out of the game. Um, so that's why I think they're going to focus on defensively. And offensively, I mean, the Warriors were, were you know, bad from the three-point line that first series. You know, Kevin Durant shot 25%. Draymond shot 28%. Quinn Cook shot 30 Nick Young shot 28 uh, Iggy was 41, and Clay Thompson was the only person hitting threes consistently. And I think for them offensively, you're, you know those shots are going to fall eventually, especially when you're Kevin Durant, you're taking eight per game and only hitting two. Um, so I think offensively, it's just about spacing the floor still, continuing to play. You know, don't get stagnant as they have been in the fourth quarter where they get that, you know, that type of OKC thunder rhythm where Kevin Durant's taking the ball up the court. He's really not looking for anyone else to try and get his own shot. You know, they get the you know, ball movement, they start spacing the floor again. And obviously if Curry comes back, it changes the offense entirely. But um, I think for them, it really it's going to be about taking Drew Holiday out of his rhythm and game. I definitely want to make one more point. Sorry, Nick, before I, before I get ahead, there's, there's a way that the Pelicans can take the Warriors out of their game. The Warriors have to resist it. The Warriors are going to see some mismatches like Drew Holiday and Rajon Rondo paired against Kevin Durant. And Kevin Durant takes that bait every single time. And he still manages to shoot somewhere around 50%. But it takes the team as a whole out of their rhythm. These guys all capitalize on getting multiple touches. Everybody kind of runs the offense together as a unit. It's kind of Steve Kerr's system. He wants all the role players to have just as much stake in the offense as the stars. But if if Kevin Durant does see a smaller defender on him, like Drew Holiday, like Rajon Rondo, you know that he's going to take the bait, and he has to resist it, at least for a large portion of the game, to make sure that these guys are really humming as a unit. What do you guys think about the boards? You know, the Warriors were our number one currently in the postseason right now in rebound percentage and third in offensive rebound percentage. They had a couple games where they just killed the Spurs on the boards, and that kind of kept them in it. Do you think that could be an area they could attack the Pelicans? I mean, it's, it's definitely going to be a plus because, I mean, Anthony Davis is the only center on the Pelicans. Um, but I, and I mean, Chuck Diallo is a little bit, you know, he's a short guy, not short, but he's not a center. Um, I mean, I just, it's definitely an area where you dominate. I mean, rebounding is one of the biggest areas of any team. If you're winning the rebounding battle, you know, nine out of 10 times, you're probably going to win that game. So it's definitely a place thing in attack. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know where I stand on that. I don't think the Pelicans are going to attack the offensive boards, at least initially. It, it would be a risk uh, because the, the Warriors are so good in transition and because the Warriors are so good at defensive rebounding. And, of course, that's all started by Draymond Green. And, of course, Kevin Durant's going to be down there giving him uh, an assist. It's the other end of the floor that kind of – that kind of concerns me. Of course, the Pelicans are also going to want to get out and transition. But against the Blazers, they they ran a lot of s smaller units, and they utilized some of their guards. What they did with their bigger guys was they they shielded uh, guys like Yusuf Nurkic and Al Farouk Aminu. And so in this instance, it'll be, you know, Kevin Durant will probably be on the perimeter, but Draymond Green will be down low. The biggest guy is going to run to him and try to seal him, while a guy like Rajon Rondo or Etuan Moore tries to co collect the rebound. And that's been really successful for them lately. And I would think that it would translate 
Um, in the first two games of the series, of course, the Blazers out-rebounded the Pelicans. But once they started hitting the larger defender, the Draymond Green, instead of the big guy just chasing the rebound, it really worked for them. And I think it's something they're going to try to attack here, sending three guys out in transition while they send two guys back to collect the rebound. And I don't think it'll be an issue, but I know that some of the guys in New Orleans have a different take on that. They think that attacking the offensive boards is something that the Pelicans should utilize here because they just have they have more size with Draymond Green in the paint and Kevin Durant likely on the perimeter. But I, I think it's a risk and I don't think you take it. Yeah, I think a lot of honestly the rebounding matchup is gonna be who are the Warriors playing? You know, who are they playing? Are they playing McGee? Are they playing Looney? Are they completely going small, having Draymond at center a lot of the time? You know, is KD playing on the perimeter more? Is he getting inside a little bit? I think that's gonna have a big impact. Leading that actually leads us to our next point. Key matchups in the series. Uh, I'll start this one. Um, I mean, we, we know that Kevin Durant's going to get 30. We know that uh, Anthony Davis is going to get his. The guys who are going to have to step up for the Warriors, of course, are Andre Iguodala and Draymond Green. But the guy who really makes me nervous is Sean Livingston. And he's somebody who wasn't available on April 7th. And what makes him so dangerous is the Pelicans love to utilize these three guard lineups of Rajon Rondo, Drew Holiday, and Etuan Moore. And sometimes they'll sprinkle in some version of Ian Clark or Darius Miller or Solomon Hill in there. And Sean Livingston is just that old school kind of guy who gets into the post and he just shoots right over you. He's dynamite at those, you know, six to 12 foot shots. He's got those long arms. And if you do come over and help defend on him, of course, he's savvy enough to find the open guy, you know, screening or rolling uh, off uh, under the basket. He's just got great vision. He's got great instincts. And he's somebody who can, you know, get 16 points and eight assists in each of the games in this series, depending on. And he's also able to defend at all three positions on the other end of the floor. He might not have the foot speed, uh, but he certainly has the length to block off somebody like Rajon Rondo. So he's definitely going to be an X factor for the Pelicans. I don't know if I can go outside of the top four because it's, it's hard to have four primary players. I would like to say that's Nikola Meritich, but because those four principles have been so integral to what the Pelicans have been doing, if the Pelicans do need additional scoring after that, you would start with Etuan Moore. And then one version of Darius Miller and Ian Clark have to play better. They have to play better to win this series. They were virtually non-existent, uh, non-existent with other than uh, two critical shots in game three heading into the third quarter. Uh, they hit back-to-back three-pointers. But other than that, both of these guys, just Ian Clark is is not playing his bas- best basketball over the past two weeks after coming back from his ankle sprain. And Darius Miller, he just doesn't have confidence. Whenever he takes the shot, it goes in. But he has some open looks and defenders close on him, and he gives the ball up, and he's the best shooter the Pelicans have. So they just need him to find his confidence right now. So I'll say for the Pelicans, uh, it's got to be one of Ian Clark and Darius Miller just contributing 10 points. And for the Warriors, the guy that scares me is Sean Livingston. The matchup I'm, look- I'm looking at, like, Drew Holiday versus Clay. I think that matchup in particular, I'm just intrigued by. Because both those guys play a similar type of game. Obviously, they both have, you know, Drew Holiday can shoot and he can drive and he's a good defender. And Klay Thompson is, you know, that arguably a top three three-point shooter and a fantastic defender in his own right. And I think both those guys matching up against each other. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if you know, game one, Clay neutralizes Drew or game two, you know, Drew neutralizes Clay. I think that battle in particular is going to be a huge um, – like a swinging pendulum for this series until Curry gets back. 
I don't think you're going to see those two matched up against each other as much as you would think generically, like in a in an average NBA game. Of course, they have the same size. They have similar skill sets. But with that being said, the Pelicans really want to put Drew Holiday on Kevin Durant. The Pelicans really like having Anthony Davis on a non-shooter or a non-threatening offensive player like an Al Farouk Aminu or like a Draymond Green because they think he's at his best when he's help defending. So who do you match up uh, against Kevin Durant? Solomon Hill couldn't do it. Darius Miller couldn't do it. And obviously, he can shoot over Drew Holiday. But Drew Holiday does a wonderful job with his strength of keeping D- Kevin Durant away from the rim. So Kevin just has to shoot well, and the Pelicans are going to let him. If if he can shoot over him, then that's the matchup that you're going to see. And I really, truly, honestly believe that I think we're going to see Klay Thompson matched up against Rajon Rondo, and they're really going to try to limit what the Pelicans do offensively and get them comfortable and force the Pelicans to play one-on-one ISO basketball with Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis. These guys... Uh, they were they were able to do that against the Blazers, but I think that's going to be a bit more difficult for them to to get the kind of shots they got then against the Warriors now. So I, I think the, the most interesting thing going into this is how the Warriors defend Rajon Rondo and defensively, are the Warriors going to allow Rajon Rondo to hide? Because if they do switch somebody like a Quinn Cook onto him, we saw what Quinn Cook did to him in the first quarter. He got 14 points. He was something like five of five from the field with like four three-pointers, and he really took advantage of him. And then the Pelicans moved him to Andre Iguodala, and they let him. So that's a matchup that I'm really intrigued by going into this. Yeah, there's a ton of great matchups, and I agree. I think maybe Holiday and Clay won't be directly matched up on each other, but I think their performances could have a big impact in the series. Like you mentioned, is Drew Holiday going to keep up that hot pace? And we know what Clay Thompson can do if he has a hot series. He's a good enough player where he can literally win you games. So that's something to keep an eye on. Who do you think they match up with AD? I think it's going to be Draymond. Um I think Draymond's got the body position. They they want Anthony Davis to take those fallaway shots, and that's what Anthony does early on in a contest, and it kind of frustrates you as a Pelicans fan, but you understand the purpose of it. If he makes one out of two of those, it pressures the guy to get a little bit closer on him, but you're going to see some fallaway, like 15 to 18-footers that Draymond's going to force out of him, and the idea is if AD can hit one of those, then that opens up some space for him to dribble, penetrate, and get to the cup, which is where he loves to be, but I, I think it's going to be Draymond. You're also going to see them experiment with uh, some uh, some defense by committee. We saw Kevon Looney matched up to him at times. We saw Jordan Bell. Jordan Bell, Anthony Davis just devoured. So I think principally you're going to see Draymond Green, but what will be really interesting to see, and I kept thinking they were going to go to this on April 7th, when are Kevin Durant and Anthony Davis going to find themselves mano a mano like at that. the end I of like the game? It, it just didn't happen on April 7th, and we kept waiting for one of those guys to just call out the other guy and just go one-on-one, but it just, it just never took place. So we're waiting to see it, and of course Every eye in, you know, the basketball hemisphere is going to be on those two should it ever take place. But it just hasn't yet. What do you think, Corey? You think they're going to go with Draymond on AD? Or this I, I mean, yeah, I think that's I think that's the the obvious answer. I mean, he's he's the best defender for the Warriors. And I think, like Preston mentioned, he's got, you know, the advantage on size a little bit. And he's going to try and obviously push him out of the paint. Uh, I don't – I mean, JaVale McGee would, would get eaten alive by Anthony Davis. He'd probably get drawn out of the paint and just get blown by I think Draymond's the likely choice, and I don't know. I mean, obviously, I think we all, like Preston said, we're hoping to see Durant on AD for some portion of this game, and I'm sure we will. Yeah, I think we're bound to see it in this series. You know, they'll switch some things up, and like you said, Preston, like two of the best players in the world, they're going to want to kind of match up at some point in the series. What do the Pelicans throw at KD? 
Um, I, I, we saw another by committee approach. Drew Holiday was on him for a large portion of the game, including the fourth quarter. And Rajon Rondo even got switched up to him. And Kevin Durant tried to tried to bully him into the post. And of course, Rajon Rondo was able to pick his pocket, and that kind of sealed the game. But we also saw large spurts of Darius Miller. One guy to look for that they're definitely going to try to throw at him is Solomon Hill. Solomon Hill is a guy who was, you know, an Andre Roberson type, uh, a, a guy who could shut down, you know, an, an opposing team's uh, best perimeter player. He did it against. Uh, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard just last year, but coming back from that torn hamstring and losing 69 games has really taken its toll on him. He has not been that version of himself. He lacks the lateral quickness. You can just see that he doesn't have the confidence. And the Pelicans have kept giving him 15 minutes per game, just hoping that he's going to rediscover it at some point. And it just it just hasn't translated yet. But with an extra, you know week of rest I think the the last game was on Saturday game four against Portland maybe he's used some of that time to get some of that strength back to get some of that confidence back they're definitely going to try it and if Solomon Hill can limit uh Kevin Durant at all that could really turn the tide of this series moving on from there in the matchups deciding factors what's going to you know be the deciding factor in the series for both teams or just overall who's going to win um, I'm picking the Pelicans in six. Now, with that being said, I sound like a complete, you know, fanboy, and that that is taken uh, with a grain of salt, my take. But I, I just think if Steph Curry doesn't rush back, or if he rushes back and he's just not the version of himself the Warriors need, because Quinn Cook has been pretty good offensively, even though defensively the Pelicans will be able to take advantage of him. They do play well with Quinn Cook in the starting lineup. He's a dynamite shooter, and that's kind of what they need. He's an active guy. He runs around the perimeter. If Steph Curry takes his spot and and can't knock down those shots, then it could really be an advantage for the Pelicans. But if Steph Curry doesn't play at all or doesn't play like that version of himself, I think the Pelicans can walk away with this series. With that being said, if Steph Curry, you know, comes back anywhere near his MVP type form, even 80% of himself, I think the Pelicans will have a hard time. So the real X factor in this series is the health of Steph Curry and can he hold up for most of this series. Other than that, it's it's just like I said, it's it's turnovers. The deciding factor is going to be turnovers. If the Pelicans can hold on to the ball the way that they did April 7th, they'll win. And if they can't, they'll lose. Uh, we all know how devastating the Warriors are in transition. And they turned the ball over 17 times against the Pelicans. And so that gave the Pelicans the advantage. But if they can even those odds, even if it's 13 to 17, the, the Warriors just have better top-end talent. Of course, the Pelicans have, like, maybe the best two players in the NBA right now in Drew Holiday and, and Anthony Davis just based on the way they played against the Blazers. But when you throw in the, you know, Hall of Fame-like players like Kevin Durant, Andre Iguodala, and Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green, if, if those guys are playing their best basketball, nobody can stop them. Yeah, it's like you said, but the main factor in this series, and I think everybody kind of knows this going in, is if Steph's healthy, it's going to be a different series. If he's not healthy, the Pelicans have a legitimate shot of winning this series, but if Steph comes back, and I would even say if he's 80% of himself and he can just knock down that three ball for extra spacing, create a f- few matchup problems, and like you said, talent-wise, having all this talent on a team, when they turn it up, which they did not really do against the Spurs to the highest level we've seen them do in the past, they're incredibly tough to beat. Definitely, but... With, with that being said, I think just based on how these two teams are coming into this series, everything's pointing towards the Pelicans. The Pelicans are hot. They're playing their best basketball. Everybody's they have talking. that irrational confidence. You know, when you're just playing so well, hitting all these shots, it's like you can't really explain it in some extent, but the Pelicans have it right now. And I know we say this going into every series, how critical game one is, and a series doesn't start until, you know, a team wins a game on the road. But with that being said, 
the Warriors need to stop the Pelicans in game one. I think once again, all the pressure isn't on the Pelicans. It's on the Warriors, just like it was on the Blazers. Nobody's expecting these Pelicans to win. And if the Pelicans do manage to win, then all the fingers are going to point to Damian Lillard and why he can't win it all and, and why didn't he come up bigger and CJ McCollum, can these two guys coexist? And then it goes to the Warriors. Kevin Durant, you know, cut bait and ran from OKC. Now he's going to run again. Uh, you know, Draymond Green is a shell of him former self. Andre Iguodala is one year closer to retiring. Steph Curry, injury concerns. All the pressure is pointing to the Warriors. They need to step on the Pelicans' throat in game one because if they don't, I'm telling you, this Pelicans team is hungry and they've got more confidence than anybody in the NBA. And if you just crack that door for them, I think we might see a monumental upset. It's a real possibility. They're playing with house money. Yeah. What are your deciding factors, Corey? What do you think is going to be the major factors of this series other than Steph's health? Um... I mean, really, to me, I, I think it's if Drew Holiday can keep up this play. I mean, I think Anthony Davis, we assume, is going to be as great as he has been. I think if Drew Holiday continues this level of play, I mean, like, I, I the image of him pointing at Nurchik is just, like, implanted in my brain. Like, that kind of, like, you know, he was just feeling himself. You know, the dunks he had, the blowing by Lillard a few times. He If he plays with that level of confidence and he's that aggressive – I just think it adds, a, you know, a completely different dynamic to the to the Pelicans, and I think that to me is, you know, the changing factor is how effective Drew Holiday can be in a, you know, a six or seven game series. Yeah, Holiday's play is definitely going to be huge from the Warriors side. I think we've kind of hinted at this already. I think Draymond Green and Andre Iguodala's ability to knock down a three point shot is going to be huge. Like Preston hinted at, like AD, they like to use him as a help defender a lot. And if he can shade off a of Draymond a lot, it's going to help his team out. But if Draymond's knocking down threes and hitting a high percentage, he's going to have to stick out there a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. And that, that can't be emphasized enough. The Pelicans are going to go into this one assuming that Andre Iguodala and Draymond Green are going to stay cold. And even if those guys come out and hit, you know, three or four of their first shots, they're still going to sag off of them and expect them to cool off. So if those guys can put it together and shoot 40%, even 35% from three on this series, that's really going to alter how the Pelicans attack them defensively. But with that being said, we, we know the Pelicans can't slow them down offensively. The Pelicans are going to have to take care of the ball, and they're going to have to do it offensively. And the Pelicans have actually been able to do that this year against the Warriors. They've had a lead in every game they've played this year, and they've had a, I think it was much as like a 19-point lead uh, the second game they played this year. And of course, the Warriors just being the Warriors, they were able to bridge the gap and win. That's just who they are. But with that being said, I, I just... I'm, I'm repeating myself, but I, I think it all comes down to turnovers. And I, I think every game is going to be completely different. We might see 20 points from Draymond Green one game. You might see Drew Holiday really quiet one game with just 14 and then go up to 30. There are so many stars and players uh, capable of playing well in this series that I think every game is going to be a completely different story. Yeah, and there's going to be a lot of adjustments and, and matchups. And obviously, Gentry, you know, being an assistant coach with the Warriors, I think will have some type of impact. So, but let's get it. Predictions for the series. Final cut right here. I'm saying Warriors in six. Uh, I think the Pelicans will steal one one game at Oracle to start off the series before Curry is back. I think they might even sneak one on at home. But I think overall the Warriors are going to close this out in six. I'm, and I'm going to say the Pelicans in six. And, of course, there's a caveat to that. Of course, it's the health of, of Steph Curry. But not just Steph Curry. All these guys, like you saw in games two and game three, Kevin Durant and Sean Livingston sprained their ankles. Andre Iguodala, same thing. And, of course, he's had knee and thigh issues. And these guys just, they're tired. 
They're tired. They want to be put away. They don't want to play into June. I'm telling you, if the Pelicans can just get steal game one and head back to game three and game four, Smoothie King Center has just taken a new life. New Orleans is behind these Pelicans like they never have been before. I don't know if you guys saw game three when Cash Money was out there, many fresh and juvenile, but this city just has life with basketball now. And like you said, they're playing with house money. I just... The, the way that everything's pointing, the way that these guys are playing, you can't just pretend that these guys are going to be able to flip the switch. And, of course, that's what everybody is expecting. This is, you know, the, possibly one of the greatest teams in the history of the NBA, coupled with the 96 Bulls. They won 73 games. They went to the finals three years in a row. I just think that these guys are tired, and I think the Pelicans are the perfect team to capitalize on it. If you had to pick a game that would make you feel a lot more confident about the Pelicans winning the series, what game would it be that Steph Curry would come back? You know, if you could hold them off as long as possible, what game would they need him not to come back in to make you feel very confident about the Pelicans getting this W in the series? I think that this is realistic to think that Steph Curry might try to give it a go in game two. But if the Pelicans don't see him until game three or game four, that way they're able to steal, you know, one of game one or game two. And then in game three, he's kind of still getting his footing and the Pelicans kind of capitalize on that. And then the Pelicans really just have to win game four and game six and they just have to take it to these guys. And at that point, the whole momentum of the series will have already shifted. And the, the national storyline is going to be, do the Warriors have enough time to recover? Can Steph come back in enough time? And all the fingers, I'm telling you, are going to be pointed at Golden State. And there's not going to be any pressure on the Pelicans and the Pelicans are going to have so much momentum and confidence if if Steph can just you know just take a break buddy just spend a couple more days on the sideline and uh just buy the Pelicans some time but with that being said everything hinges on him uh he's listed as day-to-day there is the chance that he could be back by game one and if that if that happens then everything I've said is null and void what about you I I mean I do I do think the I mean, I think I said this a couple a couple of weeks ago, or well, whenever not weeks ago, last week. You know, when the Pelicans eliminated the Blazers in four, I said that was the worst case scenario for the Warriors. You know, the Warriors were probably betting on that series going. You know, six or seven being a long drawn out series. They figured they were going to finish the Spurs off in four or five. They'd have you know a few days, an extra days off of rest. Curry could you know sit on the sideline, you know, get his body readier and readier. And now you know, obviously, all that's gone because. You know, the the Warriors series lasted longer than the series that's supposed to go six or seven, according to most people at ESPN. So I, I think it definitely, you know, I, I'm expecting Curry to be back by game two. I just feel like the Warriors aren't going to play around, you know, with the Pelicans who are super hot. But, you know, if he is out, you know, like Preston said, to a game three or game four, it does completely change the complexion of the series. And I just want to add one more thing. Uh, the Pelicans had only beaten the Warriors once in their previous 25 tries prior to April 7th. And, of course, April 7th was in Oakland. And I think that game just matters so much to their confidence right now. They know that they can do it. Rajon Rondo has a quote right now. He's live at practice, and he's saying, we don't need to be in the, sp- in the spotlight. We're going to let our game do the talking. And that's the confidence that they have right now. Following every game against the Blazers, you would find him, instead of celebrating, he was at his locker watching game film. After uh, the, I think it was the game four, whenever the Spurs managed to win, they asked Rajon Rondo, they said, hey, which team are you watching right now? And he said, no disrespect, but I'm getting ready for the Warriors. I just think these guys are ready, and I think they're going to come out and they're going to punch them in the mouth. How much do you think, I know I haven't given my prediction yet, but how much do you think Rondo has helped this Pelicans team, especially in the playoffs? I think you cannot understate what value is meant, and I don't mean on the floor. I mean as a coach. 
Like Drew Holiday specifically called him out after game one, saying that every single time the Blazers took the ball up the court, Rajon Rondo had already told them exactly what sets they were going to be running. And that not only put them in the position to succeed, it also gives you confidence and it also gives you comfort not having to think like how big is that in a playoff game? Just being able to rely on your physicality and what you already know you're supposed to do. That the Pelicans are going to probably throw something the Warriors haven't seen. And of course, Steve Kerr is going to counterpunch. But as this game unfolds, Rajon Rondo is going to be so instrumental to what the Pelicans are able to do on both sides of the floor, just because how he dictates the game from an intelligence standpoint. He's he's one of the best to ever do it from that regard. He totally dictates the pace and the style that the Pelicans play at on both ends. It's 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 an unspoken advantage that that everybody's kind of sleeping on at this point. Yeah, and it's obviously evident. Last year, we saw it in the uh, Bulls and Celtics series where he kind of single-handedly disrupted the Celtics offense, and that was a lot of just knowing what plays they were going to call. But even with that said, Preston, I'm sorry, and you made me feel bad about my pick last week, and you were right about it, and you know the Pelicans did win that series, but I'm going to have to go with the Warriors in six. But if Steph isn't back or he doesn't ever hit that 75% or 80% level, I'm feeling pretty confident in the Pels. But if Steph is back game two looking good, I could even see this one ending in five just because Steph Curry is that type of player. But we have no idea what's going to happen with his health. We wish him the best, though. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And I'm, you know, if we had this conversation three months ago, it's totally different. I just think based on where the the trajectory of the arrows are pointing for these two respective franchises right now, one is um, undeniably pointing up. And I think the other one's pointing down. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. A lot can change when a Steph comes in because I think all of us would say is like, you know, KD, you can make the argument as their best player, but a lot of people think Steph is the most important player just from his leadership perspective and his ability on the floor and the gravity he has where he kind of just sucks everybody in with the three-point shots he can hit. So I wouldn't be surprised if Steph is you know, that person that can ignite that switch and turn this team back on, but it also could look really bad too if he comes back and he's not healthy. And like you mentioned, they already have these question marks. So this is going to be a really exciting uh, series with a lot of different storylines. I definitely think it's going to be exciting. I wasn't like expecting to be excited about a Pelicans-Warriors matchup going into the playoffs. But, I mean, anytime you see a team wipe off a floor that was so good and, like, the Blazers, well, I don't know how about so good, but a, a team that was certainly overperforming to end the year, um, it definitely catches more eyes, especially mine. I promise I mean, you one thing. There's going to be a lot of scoring. Yeah. And, I mean, just the AD and KD matchup type of thing. If we see that, I think everybody's going to be super excited. Andrew Holiday and Clay Thompson and all that. There's just, a, like you mentioned, Preston and Corey, there's just a lot of good players in this series. But that wraps it up for today. As always, thank you for listening. You can catch the NBA Outlet on iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OGGBasketball.com, Google Play, and now airing on Dash Radio. Thank you, Preston. Thank you, Corey. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Hope you've enjoyed listening to the bird calls on OTG and nothing but net here on Dash Radio. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Geico presents Yikes! Another voicemail from your roommate. 
Sup, roomie? Hey, a pipe burst in the basement. It's completely flooded. Anyway, I called for someone to fix it, but in the meantime, I was thinking we could finally have that indoor pool party we've always wanted. I got some cool swan floaty things already going. Could you pick up some chips on your way home? Later. The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected. Like if your roommate isn't the brightest pool float in the flooded basement. Visit geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance.